Our reading is from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 17 and finishing with the first verse of the next chapter. Some rules for Christian living. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, we do pray that you would draw close now, that you would speak to our minds and to our hearts, that we would hear the message you have for each one of us in our own situations. And that you would speak to us as a church. Draw close, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do please take a seat. We're coming towards the end of our series on Colossians, a short series that we've had looking at this fascinating letter. And next week will be the last one. And as you heard that reading, I wonder what you thought. (laughs) Laughter. I wonder what you thought I might come to talk about. So I want to start by saying what I'm not going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about the place of women in marriage, the place of women in the church, whether we should have female bishops, none of that. I'm not going to talk about whether in the marriage vows we should be saying that women should be obeying their husbands. As I was doing a bit of research, actually, nowhere in Scripture does it call women to obey their husbands. The word is submit, and that's a different word. So the vow that we've had to obey isn't actually a scriptural one. Just drop that in out of interest. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about how society should regard children, because I'm sure we've got lots of views on how children are today. Maybe they should be more like Victorian children, seen and not heard. Maybe we should be giving them greater rights. 
I'm not going to have a thesis on that. And I'm not going to talk about whether the early church should have banned slavery. Why did it take so long, if we're reading stuff like this, for slavery to be banned? Because I'm not convinced that this is what this passage is about. I don't really believe it's about those hot topics that sometimes we take this passage and use it for. I want us to think about what it's saying. It's some really important things it's saying. So don't hear me wrongly. I'm not underplaying what is here. But actually, I think it's something deeper and even more fundamental than we, sudden, than we sometimes take. We sometimes just take the odd phrase from it. And I want us to look at it as a whole and try to understand what Paul was saying to those early Christians and what God might be saying to us now. So the title in the NIV, which again, you have to remember is, is an addition to help us understand, calls it Rules for Christian Households. So after a whole letter, which has been dealing with big topics of theology, why is Paul coming down to something very practical, almost mundane, and coming across as, as rules? Let's remember what he has been speaking about. He's been speaking against some of the false teaching that the Christians in Colossae have been hearing, that they've been tempted to take on board different practices, different understandings, and they've forgotten the fundamentals of their faith. And primarily, they have forgotten the centrality of Christ and his supremacy. If we turn back to Colossians 1, we have that amazing poem reminding us of who Christ is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Our minds are taken way up here, beyond anything we can actually even imagine, describing Christ in all his glory and his majesty, reminding us of who he is. Christ is central to our faith. And that is the, the thrust of this letter. So why then do we come to how you behave in your house? It's going from one extreme to the other, isn't it? Well, one answer might be that any good teaching should be rooted in our day-to-day -day lives. That any understanding of theology should actually translate to what it is we can apply to our everyday lives. And in many ways, that probably is what is happening. That Paul is saying, here is the the basis in which I'm talking to you, the really important factor. And here's a way in which you can show that in your lives. The implication being, it hasn't been seen in their everyday lives. And maybe this is one of the areas in which that lack of understanding is beginning to fragment how they are as people. So let's think about what life in Colossae would have looked like. Hugely hierarchical. A society bound by its understanding of the hierarchy and where you fit within that. And naturally, men were the most important because of the period it was, not naturally because of what it should be, but naturally for the period of time. A patriarchal society, men were most important. They were the decision makers, held all the positions of power, but even within 
that, they were subdivided into different classes. So the well-to-do, the educated, the rich men would have had the most prominent place in society. And other men would have come down under that in terms of what they could say, where they could go, influence of power. You knew your place and you kept to that. And then women and children, lumped together, had their places within their household. I'm not going to speak against that. That's how life was. That's how it was for many, many, many thousands of years. And so Paul is speaking into a very set structure in society. What also happened was there was no mixing across those levels. You understood your place and you stuck within that. And you didn't mix across the boundaries. So what you saw was a separated society where you kept to your own group and you didn't have much time for the other groups around you. What the early church was doing, if we think back to Acts and how the church grew and developed, was breaking all those social norms. Everybody was coming together. Men, women, children, slaves, free. Of all social strata. And were becoming something new. And they realised and understood that baptism was what changed the social structures that they were living in. When they were baptised, they belonged to a new family. And that's language that we continue to use. Where that strict social hierarchy was broken down and everybody came together as sons and daughters of God. But it may be, and we don't know what what Epaphras said to Paul, but the fact that Paul has written about this, it may be that the people in Colossae were forgetting that. That they were forgetting that actually they had a new identity and the way they were together needed to be different and look different, set apart from what was going on in the rest of society. Now let's think about where we started. They had begun to forget the crux of their faith, the major issues. When you lose sight of the true nature of your faith, it doesn't just affect your mind, it affects everything about you. So it would be understandable that how you live your life would begin to be affected. At one stage, you were very clear, this is how we are called to be. But you start questioning the big faith issues, and your everyday life follows, begins to crumble. So maybe there was a sense in which they were reverting back to, this is who I am, and I don't want anything to do with you. We may be Christians together, but I'm better than you. It doesn't say but it would make sense that this was beginning to crumble as much as their theological understanding. And Paul wants to remind them of who they are, of who they are in Christ, and what makes them distinctive as a result. They now are a precious family of brothers and sisters, of children of God. And so these rules for Christian households 
are really important. Because actually, Paul is really talking about Christian principles in all our relationships. How do we live with one another? What does it look like to be brothers and sisters in the family that is different to society's norms? Our society's norms are different to the people of Colossae. What does it mean for us to look like brothers and sisters in Christ? Contrary, distinctive to the way in which the rest of our society is living. And Paul gives us some guidelines. And he takes what they know and what they understand. He's not saying tear up the social norms, but live within them and mould them. Honour them and make them better. So yes, wives, submit to your husbands. That wasn't news to them. But they ought to do it. Because that's right in the order of what's happening. Don't fight against what is going on, he's saying. But he's bringing in a reciprocal challenge. And this was the radical thing. Wives, submit to your husbands. No great deal in that at all. They knew that. They knew that's what it was to be. The challenge here is husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's the unusual part. Never were men asked to do something like that. They were who they were and they deserved to be submitted to. And Paul is saying that might be the case but actually you've got a responsibility in return. It's not one rule for one and another rule for another. There's a reciprocal sense and nature in their relationship. Fathers do not, and children obey your parents in everything. Again, that was well known. Children were to be good, to do as they were told. But fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That was the new voice coming in. A reciprocal relationship. We forget how radical this was. But to see that a relationship was mutual with love and respect on both sides and something precious about it. Different ways of showing that, but something very precious in its mutuality. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. They knew they had to obey them. And masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Paul is saying, yes, live. Live in your society, as you should do, but understand that something new has happened. That because of Christ, because of what he has done for you, you have been born into a new relationship with him and with one another. Will you live as equals? Will you live respecting one another? Where there's love and mutuality. That is the challenge. And that is the framework in which we're called to live as God's children. And that framework offers freedom. It's not a constricting set of rules. It's saying when you live like this, you can be the people God has made you to be. And there is a freedom for you to grow and to develop and to nurture one another that we've been designed for. So it's not rules for the sake of rules. It's a framework to allow us to grow and be God's people. There's stability, there's harmony, much better places 
for that growth to happen rather than being told what you have to do. Just a sideline, I was watching on catch-up television last night The Secret Lives of Brothers and Sisters, a Channel 4 documentary about understanding the relationships between brothers and sisters. And they did... They were all camping with their parents, but they took the children away from their parents and then observed how the older children were with their younger siblings. And it said that without the parents being there, the older children were free to take on a more nurturing role. It didn't always happen. When they were playing, having to do races and competitions, soon that kind of care went, because they wanted to win. But there was something about take away the model that they were accustomed to, and it allowed those older children to actually demonstrate different skills and gifts that were within them that didn't always come out. You know, fascinating. That changing the framework allows something new to happen. Paul is saying the framework's changed. We still live within the society. We're not going to be anarchists and go against everything that society is doing. But we're going to shape it and mould it because we are different because of Christ. We can't go back to the old way. This is the new way of being. And our relationships are about love and respect and understanding and mutuality. And they stand for us now today, through all time, as reminders of the high expectations that God places on Christian relationships. This is hugely important. How we are with one another matters. It matters to us, it matters to God, and it matters to the impact we have on the world around us. In our marriages, in our family life, and in our workplace. And we should be exemplary. We should be offering an alternative to what we sometimes see in society. Again, thinking about what we've been watching this week. The horrors and the terrors where there's hatred, a lack of tolerance, wanting everyone to be like us and not accepting it when they're not. That's what we've watched. And that is the polarity of what living in a different way leads to. And as Christians, we need to be modelling something different. And we sometimes think, what on earth can we do? What can I do as an individual with all the terror that is going on? One thing I can do is to look to myself and look to how I am living. And am I living and dealing with the relationships in my life in a godly, in a Christ-like way? It may not change the world, but all I'm called to do is be me in my situation. And it's hugely important. And that's why it's tragic. It's why it makes the headlines when a church leader has an affair. When a Christian family falls apart because there's no time for one another. So busy doing church things, we forget about family life. That's why it's tragic when a Christian boss can't be distinguished from any of the other bosses. Because there's no difference in the way he or she is treating their staff. The way we are with our relationships has an impact on ourselves, our relationship with God, but on the world that we inhabit. And so these rules are important. This framework is vital and key. What does that mean? What does it mean for us as individuals? And for each one of us, we'll take something different away. 
But what does it mean for us as a church? If this is so vital, what does it mean for us as we meet together week by week? We are one gathering of thousands and millions of God's family. But we are a gathering of God's family. And I wonder what it would look like if we really took to heart these principles and lived in the way that Paul is encouraging us to do. I've got some thoughts. And they're purely thoughts. But you might hear something that you think, actually, yes, I'm going to take that away. You might want to come back to me and say, I don't agree with anything. That's fine too. But firstly, if we lived as Paul is speaking, we wouldn't work with a hierarchical model. Now that's confusing and complicated and I want to unpack that a little bit. Because it doesn't mean that we wouldn't have different roles and there wouldn't be a sense of leadership. And we have leadership in many, many ways. We have leadership with our PCC. We have leadership in our home groups. We have leadership in some of the activities that run because it makes them happen. So it's not saying we won't have leaders, but we wouldn't have a hierarchical model. And what I mean by that is that nobody is more important than anybody else. There isn't a sense in which there are some better Christians and some less good Christians, some more important Christians and so less important Christians. We wouldn't be looking at each other like that. We would see that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we would have an understanding of a mutual relationship with one another. So what would that look like? What it would look like is that you might see the the vicar hoovering up after an event and not being told, well, you shouldn't have to do that. Yes, I should. I am a member of this family and sometimes my role is to preach Sometimes my role is to hoover up or clean the toilets. And I need to remember that and not be too high and mighty that nothing is beneath me to do. But also, when I do do these things, that should be just natural and not people saying, you should be doing that. Yes, I should. Now, okay, there might be a sense in which I have to work out how I spend my time. If I spent my whole week cleaning, we might not grow as a church. But I am not too important to serve. Because that's what that is. I'm serving. And first and foremost, I'm called to serve. And what that looks like depends on the situation that I'm in. It also means that I need to listen. That if I've been called to be a leader, which I believe I have been called to be, and I've been given a particular task by the way that the church operates... I can't assume that I always have the answer, that I know exactly what is right. The only way in which I can lead is to listen. Sermons are not great for that, because I tell you what I think. Cafe Church, we can come back and discuss it and debate it, it's wonderful. And actually, it's why it's really important that in home groups, we take some questions from what's been said on a Sunday. And in a safe place, we can pull it apart. And actually, if you've spent time pulling it apart, saying there's none of that we agree with, the next step is to tell me. Because that's how we need to be working. Because it's not fair that I stand here and I spout and there isn't that sense of comeback. 
So if we're living with those principles of mutual relationships, we're in this together. We're learning together. And I need to listen and understand and be discerning. But you also need to be part of that process and take on board and think and challenge constructively, please. That actually challenge is really important. Good challenge is fantastic and I thrive on it. The harder things are maybe niggles, but actually there's a sense in which we're all in this together. No one is more important than another. And if we operate like that, we all understand our place within the family. That we each have a part to play. And it doesn't matter what that part is, it's a valuable part. We, we know the imagery of the body. We didn't have all those parts of the body, we couldn't operate. And yet we still think the head's more important than the toe. Let's actually throw that off and say that we all are part of this family. We all have a part to play. And if we're not playing our part, the whole family suffers as a result. And we all have a place to belong. There is no hierarchy when we live as Paul speaks of, as Christ calls us. We have different roles, different responsibilities, but we are equal with one another. So that's the first thing. There's only three, don't worry. The second one is this. We would live in such a way that we would love and respect one another. Again, that sounds really obvious, doesn't it? And in the south of England, we can love and respect very politely. But we don't always agree. And what happens when we don't agree? In a good community, we would acknowledge that. We would have it out in the open. We would listen to other views. We wouldn't gossip or backbite. And if we've upset one another, we'd be honest about it and deal with it. Because it matters. There's four of you in your family, as there is in my family. If one person's feeling hurt, we all know about it. And we need to have that sense that we acknowledge if we're hurt, that we acknowledge if we don't agree, and that we find a good way of dealing with that. Living as God's family doesn't mean that we agree in everything and life is a bed of roses. It's about acknowledging that it's not like that, but dealing with it well. Because the world doesn't deal with it well. So what can we offer? How can we live distinctively in a way that is contrasting to the way that the world deals with it? At the moment we're seeing terror. Domination. Because there's not agreement. We need to offer something different. And it will start in the small things. And getting all of this out in the open and understanding one another and loving and respecting one another is key. The Church of England nationally has been trying to do this through um, General Synod. Just last week, General Synod took place. And there's been three or four years now of something called shared conversations. There's a lack of agreement in the Church of England about the whole sexuality issue and same-sex marriages. And it's painful because there's people at both ends of the spectrum and a whole lot of people in the middle. And how do you move forward as a church when there is not agreement? And so what Justin Welby has been trying to instill is a different way of tackling questions like this. 
So rather than arguments and debates in general synod, where they plan it very well, where you have one viewpoint that says, I'm for this, and then the next person says, well, I'm against it, and there's a debate, and then you vote. He said, we're not doing this. So everyone was told there's three houses, there's bishops, clergy, and lay people. And when they moved into these shared conversations, which have been done in diocese, but then for the first time were happening in general synod, they were, the clergy and bishops were told not to wear dog collars. Again, I mean, phenomenal. But it was a sense in which we're all equal together. We're not going to show our separation by sticking on a dog collar. We're going to all be looking the same. And we're going to have these shared conversations with different viewpoints coming in different groups and talk to one another and listen to one another. Now, will it be successful? I don't know. But it's an attempt to tackle something in a way that is different to how it's been tackled before. Recognising that there is pain. Pain because we don't agree. Pain because we are brothers and sisters together with this big thing in the middle where we can't see the way forward. It might not work, but I think it's a start. And it's the only way to start. And I think God will honour that sense of actually saying, let's acknowledge this is difficult, but let's deal with it in a way that is godly and Christ-like. So secondly, we would love and respect one another, regardless of whether we agreed. And then thirdly, we would recognise that we are all children of God and we all belong in his family. We would see this as a safe place to come and be a child of God, belonging to his family. So it doesn't matter how long we've been here or how recently we've joined. We all belong in this community. There's no long-term service awards, I'm afraid. We all belong because for this moment, at this time, in this place, God has called us all here and we all belong. And we will recognise that the nature of our community is that we're made up of all people who belong. And because of that, It doesn't get stuck in stone. We're a living community. Because we can rejoice that we have new people joining us lots of times. In some churches where nobody's joined for 30 years, it's not particularly organic, but it hasn't got much life expectancy either. If we're a living, growing church, we change organically. Not by me saying we're going to do things differently, but we change by who we are. Because we shape who this family is in its diversity. It's organic, it's living. And in that, we've got to recognise that that can actually sometimes be quite difficult. We love growth, but sometimes it brings a challenge, doesn't it, that we don't feel we belong as much as we did. So what would we do? We'd want to get to know one another. We'd want to find out who we are. We might have to accept we won't know everybody. And actually, that's something to rejoice about. If we get so large, we can't know everybody. There's pain, but there's also joy in that too. And let's live with that and and hold those tensions together. But maybe we do need some more opportunities to socialise with one another. And that's something I'm thinking about as we move into the the next year. But one thing I have been really challenged about as I've been thinking about this is that we can create lots and lots of social opportunities. We could wear name badges. We could begin to find out who you are, where you live, and how many children you've got. 
And that's one part of living together as God's family. But the thing that is really going to unite us is if we join together around a vision of doing God's work. And I wonder whether we need more opportunities of actually sharing our passions for mission in whatever way that is. And joining together with people with shared visions rather than me standing saying we've got a list of jobs that need to be filled. When we do things together, it might be a Beesum project. If you've not heard of Beesum, it's an organisation that helps those who have to support those who haven't got. And sometimes you can go and decorate somebody's house. And I've known groups of people do that. When you're painting a wall, you get to know each other very, very well. Are there ways in which we could actually, rather than just socialising for the sake of getting to know one another, getting excited about doing something for God with people we don't necessarily always talk to on a Sunday? And I don't know what that would look like. So that's why I'm saying I'm just putting it out there and I'm listening, so tell me. But it's something about actually recognising that God has called us here with this group of people for particular reasons. And maybe it's within home groups. Maybe we need to rethink our home groups and actually connect together in different ways. I don't know. Maybe it's around different interests. But there's something very precious about coming together to do God's work that unites us in a way that is beyond a hundred social events. So I just wonder whether that's something for a next season in our life, to be thinking about different ways in which we can group, to be more involved in... And mission sounds a really big word. It may not be big, it might be small things. So don't panic when I say that. But maybe it's a prayer group of those of you who are up and down to London on the train. Maybe it's actually some of you meeting on the same carriage of the train. Maybe it's people who are sharing parenting issues and joining together and supporting one another. There's a power and a strength in uniting to do God's work. So three ways in which I think we do very, very well. So please hear it within that context. We are a good body of people. But this is challenging, and so we need to be challenged. And I've been challenged this week thinking, okay, we're doing this really well. And God's saying, okay, but how could you do it better? We're not a hierarchical organisation. We need to be a people of love and respect for one another. And we need to recognise that we are all God's children here, all belonging, each with our place and our part to play. Throughout the book of Colossians, Paul is emphasising the new nature of Christians. We're clothed with Christ. We sang about that. Come down, O love divine. Let holy charity mine outward vesture be, and lowliness become mine inner clothing. King of kings, majesty, in royal robes I don't deserve, I live to serve your majesty. We are clothed in robes that are Christ's robes. When we come together, we come to God's changing room. That was the analogy that Bishop Andrew used. This is a place of transformation where we take off the old and put on the new. We explore what that looks like in different contexts. And today, this is about understanding what being transformed as Christians means in our individual relationships 
and in our relationships as a body of Christ here in this place. What does that look like for me, for you, for us? God does the work. He is the one who transforms. Are we willing to enter into the changing room and let him do what he is going to do amongst us? That we will shine in our robes and the world will see Christ in us. Amen.